We just finished last week a, uh, what's been a two-year journey through God's Word. A two-year journey. And because we're going to be opening our Bibles now to the book of Luke, you can go ahead and turn the lights on so we can see our Bibles. A two-year journey through uh, what we called Route 66, every book of the Bible, an overview, big picture. And one of the things we find in the book of Revelation, as that winds down, one of the things we find is that the book of Revelation closes with this statement, that the, the, the um, testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. All the way from Genesis, when in chapter 3, immediately after the fall, God kills an innocent substitute in order to make a covering. All the way through every sacrifice, prophecies, fulfillment in the gospel story of Christ's coming, his birth, the incarnation, his life, his death, his resurrection. The rest of the New Testament unpacking that. Let us understand what it's about. The whole book, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So following that two-year big-picture view of the Bible, we are going to, again, focus in, dig into a book, and I thought it most appropriate to do something I've wanted to do together as a church family for many years, and this is the year we get to do it. We're going to go Advent to Easter. We're going to go do a series of what I call from, from Bethlehem to Emmaus. In the Gospel of Luke, we're going to spend this time from This Advent season, celebrating the coming, the birth of Christ, and start there in the Scriptures, in the book of Luke, and we're going to go through, journey through together, all the way to that resurrection walk on the road to Emmaus on Easter morning. So looking forward to this time that we might know more fully our Lord Jesus. You know, the, the Bible says that that God who in sundry times and in various manners spoken times past unto the, our fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us in his son. In his son. And so what I want us to do in these next several months between now and early April Easter, I want God to speak to us in his son. That as we learn about our Savior, oh certainly that's first of all, that we would learn of him but you know, our Savior has something to say to us. And we're going to see that in, in a story that doesn't seem to be much about us at all. But even in this early birth narrative, the, the announcements, when, when uh, God does something that's special. So we, I, didn't, I didn't realize that. People do birth announcements and, and so forth. But God did a, a birth announcement. You know, he says, oh, we're expecting. Oh. And people say, oh, wow, that's great. You know, Julie and I are waiting for that kind of news. You know, we don't, we don't have grandkids. We, we have to borrow them, you know. I grab hold of little Michael McKinney when I can and act like I'm just being nice, helping Jill, you know. But no, I just want to, we don't have any of these little guys yet. And birth announcement, that's a pretty big deal, right? It's a especially big deal when God does it. And God's birth announcement is in the book of Luke, chapter 1. So I want you to turn to the gospel of Luke, chapter 1. It's a familiar story from a long, long, long time ago, but it's a story that comes near. It's a story of God's coming near to us, not only then, but also now. I've got an overall that I want you to get if you get nothing else, so it's one sentence, and in fact, I wrote it down for you as four points in your notes. It's one sentence, there's four points, it goes like this, God can be trusted when it's hard to believe, when it's hard to understand, God keeps his promise. You got it? Okay, we're done. Let's sing.
That's it. Really, that's Luke chapter 1. God can be trusted. When it's hard to believe, when it's hard to understand, God keeps His promise. Look with me in Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, the opening verses, we get an introduction to the book. We're told, what is this for? As we approach God's Word, let's pray together. Father, thank You for Your Word. Lord, would You open it to us? Father, in the midst of this story, Lord, that is about our Savior, there is no greater story. Father, we need to see Him there. We need to see Him there by Your Spirit. Father, we need not only to see our Savior here, but we need to hear from Him. Lord, You have a word to speak to us today about Your Son, our Savior, and about how we could, together and each, walk with Him. Lord, let us hear from You today. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 1. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, God did something. The things that have been accomplished among us. I love that phrase. God did something here. Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, the apostles, have delivered them to us, It seemed good, Luke says, to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account. Now, it's not an in-order account. It's not chronological. None of the Gospels always are. They have put together the events in the life of Christ for a particular portrait. And each portrait is somewhat different. I alluded to that last week. Matthew portrays Jesus as as the son of David, the king. Uh, Mark portrays Jesus as the suffering servant, the one who came not to be served but to serve, to give his life a ransom for many. The Gospel of Luke portrays Jesus as the Son of Man, genuine in his humanity, as fully human as he is fully divine. And the Gospel of John portrays Jesus in his divinity, that he is the Son of God, the true bread from heaven that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So each has its own portrait and its own focus, and here then is, is uh, Luke's focus for us, an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Most excellent suggests that his initial recipient was a Roman official. The, uh, the gospel was probably written about A.D. 60, so early in that first century, during Paul's imprisonment in the town of Caesarea, in the book of Acts, about chapter 24, he's come back to Jerusalem, he gets arrested, he's held uh, under arrest in Caesarea for two years before he's transferred to Rome after his appeal to Caesar. And so Luke is probably written during that time, and at least at one level there's an apologetic, there's an explanation. Who is this guy, Paul? What has he done? What is he arrested for? And Theophilus is one of those who who has heard Paul's preaching and teaching and has come to faith in Christ. His name means lover of God or loved by God. And Luke wants him to have a fuller account. He might have some influence uh, in Roman circles. We don't know, but he's come to faith in Christ, and Luke wants him as a believer and a follower in Christ through Paul and his associates' ministry to have a little background, have a little of the backstory. An orderly account for you, most ef- excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that have been taught. You get taught a lot of stuff, don't you? John mentioned that their kids are really eager to get back to school because they get taught a lot of stuff there. The problem is you can't always believe what you've been taught. But you can know with certainty 
these things concerning the gospel that you have been taught. So when we're here in the midst of church, let's teach from here so that we can know with certainty God can be trusted. You can know with certainty, as the kids so eloquently said, and that's a fact. Right? That's a fact. We can trust God even if it's hard to believe, even if it's hard to understand, because God can be trusted. These things you can know with certainty. How can I know who God is? How can I know what God wants me to know? How can I know with certainty? How can I know whether or not these things are so? Go back to the book. Go back to what God has given us in order that we can know. That's going to come out again a little further into our story, but we need to move along. Verse 5, in the days of Herod, he, this is how he starts off. Okay, that's just the introduction. Theophilus, this is what I'm writing. Okay, start of the story. In the days of Herod, the king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. They are the perfect priestly couple. Here's, here's Zechariah, and he has a wife named Elizabeth. Now, a priest could marry a wife from any of the tribes of Israel, but it was kind of special if you married a descendant of the priestly clan as well, a daughter of the sons of Aaron, as Zechariah had. Not only that, but her name is Elizabeth. Do you know who else's name was Elizabeth? Well, you probably know somebody named Elizabeth. But the original high priest of Israel, Moses' brother Aaron's wife, was named Elizabeth. This is a special couple. Not only that, they're a special couple in that uh, they are advanced in years and they have no child because Elizabeth was barren. Now, any time the barrenness of a woman is pointing out in the Scriptures, God is about to do something. It's special. It's unique. It matters for a purpose. There are many times, you think of the birth of, of, of Samuel, you think of, of um, the sons that Jacob has through his, through, through his wife, just Rachel. Rachel was barren. Leah's having children and Rachel is not. And, and uh, there are several times through Scripture, but the but the best example is Abraham and Sarah. And Abraham and Sarah are the only other couple when it's singled out. This exact phrase is used, and they were advanced in years. What God is doing right in the start of the story, he wants us to think of this couple like Abraham and Sarah. As unbelievable as it was then, as unbelievable as it is now. Okay, so I have Abraham and Sarah and their promise of a son. Do you remember that back in Genesis? This is why we went through the whole Bible, so we'd have some of these stories in mind. And, and, but not all of us are here every week, but we're going to fill in again along the way. We can't help it. But Abraham and Sarah are told by God. God sent them an angel too, and he said, you're going to have a son. A year from now, you're going to have a son. And what happened? Sarah laughed. They didn't believe it. They didn't believe it. God sent an angel to tell them they're going to have a son. Advanced in years. Here it is again. We have Abe and Sarah version 2.0. Okay. 
verses 8 to 17. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that some have entertained angels unaware. Well, here's an example of that. Didn't know what was going on. So here's, high, here's the priest, not the high priest, but one of the priests, and he, it's his turn to serve in the temple. This is a high point of his priestly service. This would normally be done only once. Maybe if you were very fortunate and blessed twice would one of the priests actually get a turn to serve inside the temple itself, offering the incense at the time of prayer. So the nation gathers around the temple twice a day to offer a corporate together prayer to God and the priest goes inside the temple and, uh, and burns incense on the altar of incense, which stands before God's presence behind the veil, and that incense rising represents the prayers of the people. That's what's going on. Okay. Verse 8. While he was ser- he's serving as priest, his division was on duty. According to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense, and there appeared to him an angel standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Now, this is a big deal. It didn't normally happen that way. Here you are going about your business, and boom, an angel shows up. Okay, this is unusual. I don't remember the guy last week telling me this was going to happen. Here's an angel. What, what does he say? The angel, Ze- 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 Zechariah in verse 12, is... is, is not surprisingly, troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel says to him, do not be afraid. We're going to hear that a lot in these early chapters of Luke. Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. He doesn't say anything about staying up late at night and the crying, and he doesn't say anything about that. For he will be great from before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Wow, this is a big deal. An angel has appeared, and the angel says... Your prayer has been answered. Well, what, is, what is the, are the people praying about? There's this huge expectancy at this time, at the, at the dawn of the first century, at the turning of our calendars, there's this huge expectancy based out of Daniel's prophecy that now's the time. Messiah is due. It's ready. He should be coming. This is it. We're almost there. According to the calendar, they didn't have the same accuracy of calendars that you and I track today. Um, uh, at least among the common people. So they don't know just what year, but it's, it's, it's got to be about time. It's been generations, generations, generations. Even as you count the generations, you know that Daniel's timetable has to be running out. There's this huge expectancy. And they're under the, they're under the boot of Rome. And they're asking God to send them a deliverer. They're asking God to send them Messiah O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. There it is. And the angel says, your prayer has been answered. Now, we often wonder, what prayer was that? There's a beautiful ambiguity in, in the angel's words there. Was, was, was it the, the prayer of all the people that God would send Messiah? Or was it, as the angel goes on to say, have you, was Zechariah in there praying for a child, a son, 
that he and Elizabeth would have after all of these years? Well, maybe. Actually, I don't think so, though. If we look at his response, he doesn't believe it. Now, the angel goes on to say that you are going to have a a, a son, yes. In fact, it's interesting, the wording, he says, your prayer has been answered and... Have you seen that ad? There's an ad on TV. I think it's is it Pepsi, Coke, or something. It's, it's, it's and, and there's more. And, and there's more. That's what's going on here. Your prayer has been answered, and besides that, you are going to have a son. This is like sort of a supporting thing that backs up the truth of this bigger announcement, which is even harder to believe. He goes on to say that your son is going to have a special relationship. In fact, he goes on to refer to your son is going to be the one who's filled by the Holy Spirit, who goes forth in the power and spirit of Elijah, who turns the hearts of the children of the fathers. He's he's quoting out of the book of Malachi now. The angel read Malachi too. He's quoting out of Malachi. We have gone from Genesis to Malachi in these opening verses in the Gospel of Luke. And he's saying that your son is going to be that forerunner who was promised to come before Messiah is revealed. That's what he's saying here. Not only are you going to have a son, your son is going to have a big job. Your son is going to be the prophet, premier, the forerunner of the Messiah itself. Wow, this is exciting stuff. I don't think Zechariah had trouble believing that. I don't think, as he's offering incense, I don't think he's just going through religious motions here. I think he's a man of faith. It's one of the reasons God has chosen this couple. They are a couple of faith. They believe God's promise. They believe God's big promise that Messiah is coming. What they don't believe is their part in it. They believe God is going to do his big thing. They just don't think that it involves them in any critical, real way. God's going to do his thing. I just don't think he's using us in it in any really active way. He could have. Maybe born to us some time ago during the years when childbearing was possible in our family. Maybe from us could have come that prophet. We couldn't have born the Messiah because we're of the tribe of Levi and Aaron, not the tribe of David. But yeah, maybe we could have. Our son could have been the forerunner, but it's too late for that. Now, they believed the Messiah would come. They believed God would keep his big promise. What they didn't believe, I think, and what's a takeaway for you and I, is that God would also use them. What is it that Zechariah, of all this announcements, and he's going to get this piece, the the announcement of those references in Malachi, he's going to get that the prayer answered is Messiah. What he doesn't believe, look at verse 18. Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? How can I believe it? How could that possibly be true? Because I'm an old man. My wife is advanced in years. See, he doesn't believe their part in it. You and I can get there, can't we? God's going to do his thing. We believe in the sovereignty of God. We believe that God is God and he's in control. He's going to work his plan. We wonder if we'll even see it. We certainly doubt that God would be pleased to use us. God's going to do his thing, but there's just no part for me in it. The opportunity has passed. Maybe the years have gone by, and I've frittered them away in other things, and now the opportunity, now the window is closed. It's too late. 
God will do his thing. He will use people, but he couldn't use me. He couldn't use me. Could he? That's where Zechariah's at. That's where you and I are at. And, and the angel says, oh, yes. Yes, he can, just like he did with Abraham and Sarah. You see, they had biblical basis to believe that what they didn't think was possible is possible with God. See, how could God use them? How could God use you? You know what's going on in the background. You know what's already under the bridge. It, it can't be. But with God, all things are possible. Abraham and Sarah, Zechariah and Elizabeth, you and I. It's possible. God will work his big plan, yes, and God will use us in it. And so the story goes on. Well, Zechariah, because Gabriel says, I'm I'm the angel Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. What do you mean you don't believe? Because you haven't believed, it's going to happen. It's not even dependent on you believing. But because you haven't believed, you're not going to speak or actually hear until it comes to pass, until the child...